You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. Up to date wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. I'm Steve Kraske. Ty Masterson begins his fourth session as president of the Kansas State Senate next month, and in that position, he has often found himself at odds with Governor Laura Kelly. On issues ranging from Medicaid expansion to abortion to funding for special education and the food sales tax and even creation of a flat income tax, the Senate president and governor have found themselves on opposite sides of intensely contentious issues. Ty Masterson is also building something of a national profile as he begins 2024 as the new national chairman of the Conservative American Legislative Exchange Council, otherwise known as ALEC. The next session of the legislature kicks off in less than a month, and Senator Masterson joined me on Tuesday afternoon to talk about what lies ahead. Senator, thanks for your time. Nice to have you here in Kansas City. Well, thank you for having me. Well, you're the president of the Kansas State Senate. Why did you you want that job? How much do you enjoy it? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I'm not even sure wants the right word, but it felt <laughs> like the, the the role. I wanted to be productive, you know. For uh, I have six children, and I'm concerned about the next generation. And I want, you know, I want Kansas on the right trajectory. So, uh, and at the time, it uh, felt like the right right place to go. Is the job what you thought it was going to be? You know, I think it's like most things in life. There's things you really enjoy about it, things you don't. Right? There's things you expected and things you didn't. Uh, it's usually, it was the little things I didn't expect. You know, they wanted me to decide what color the sergeant of arms jackets were. And I thought, <laughs> why are you even asking me this? I just, I said, go ask Don what color jacket he wants to wear. And right. we'll, we'll go with that. So, uh, but the, you know, the, it's, it's life is about relationships and the legislature is very much about that. So it's the, most people who are elected are pretty much type A. So you've got a lot of, uh, bold people in a room trying to make some uh, difficult decisions. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, th those parts can be difficult, but um, I think that's, uh, I feel, lack of a better term, I feel like God called me to be there and manage those relationships. Remind me what special authority comes with being the, the president of a Kansas State Senate. So um, it's not unlike what typically, I know you, Steve, have been involved in politics or at least around it for a long time. The president of the Senate in Kansas is very much like the Speaker of the House. You, you pretty much decide most everything. You decide who's on what committee, who chairs it, who vice chairs it, where you sit, uh, where your office is, those type of things. And then you're, you're deciding what you know just the whole agenda and how that works I have a good majority leader to work with and a good vice president as well so uh, but for the most part um, there's there's not much you're not in charge of in that seat as I mentioned in the opening senator you and Governor Kelly have found yourselves on the opposing sides of a lot of issues both of you at times have had tough things to say about the other how, how would you describe your relationship with the governor? How, how do the two of you get Actually, along? I, honestly, I that doesn't even feel like an accurate description. I would say 
uh, Laura and I have an authentically positive relationship. Now, we don't agree on much. That is ab- absolutely correct. But uh, you know, she was my ranking uh, member of a committee I chaired for several years. So we worked together. There's a group called the Conference Committee, which is a small group of the committee that works some of the issues out. And she was part of that. And so we have, you know, I, I'm very candid with her. She's very candid with me, but we're pleasant about it. I, I think I wish you could see that broader in politics. It's, uh, you know, this new generation equating disagreement with hatred is is a problem. I mean, it's not healthy for us. So we, we do have a, a positive relationship, but I will be the first to agree. We do not agree on a lot. We have very different perspectives of what's good for Kansas and what's good for our, our people and what helps the poor and what doesn't. And that that uh, that that's where our discussions come. But as, as you know, I mean, 80 percent of what we do in that building is generally non-controversial. Mm-hmm. Right. It's that it's that last 20 percent and really even maybe just that last seven or eight percent, right, that are the big issues, though, right? They're the big, uh, everybody talking about them kind of issues. I was going to say, Senator, the public perception, at least, is that the two of you are at loggerheads about every other day of the week. Uh, it's a, That's actually a false perception. We, I actually meet with her more than I met with the prior governor. We actually... Uh, once a week, and we're talking about because you know there's a lot to discuss and work out when you're in divided government, right? And to, and I think that's where we need to be. And if you don't discuss it, you can't work through it. If all we're doing is taking pot shots at each other in the media, right? I mean that's a fundamental philosophy in the way I manage, and I've I've worked on that with the House as well. That I don't. It's 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 hard to disparage personally somebody you actually like as a person. I believe it's it's possible to like and care for somebody you adamantly disagree with, and so we 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 work to manage that relationship in that manner. Well, let's talk about some issues that'll be coming down the pike this session. You've just uh, toured the state promoting a flat income tax that the governor opposes. She just toured the state promoting Medicaid expansion, which you oppose. Mm-hmm. So the disagreements continue. Let's talk about your support of a flat income tax, which would establish a single rate that all taxpayers would pay, as opposed to the more progressive income tax the state has now, which offers multiple rates depending on one's income. This is a chief priority for you. Why? Yeah, that's a great question. It is a chief priority because you're seeing now, and by the way, flat tax kind of has its own connotation. Single rate's probably a better describer, but honestly, even the single rate plan is two rates, zero and then the single rate. So there's a large exemption at the bottom, right? And we'll and I'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But the, the structure matters. And if you look across the nation, it's really no longer debatable that the states that weather and recover uh, from downturns the best, honestly, the top tier is the no-income tax states, right? You see Florida, Texas, Tennessee, you know, pick, pick, your, pick your state. The next tier of states that weather and do better, and it's starting to be understood and states are changing, are those single-rate flat-income tax states. I, I like to point people to the state of Utah. It's been number one in this publication called Rich States, Poor States, which analyzes the tax, uh, and now, I mean, everything, you know, property, sales, I mean, just the tax environment. In all states, and they and Utah is similar in size to us. It also does not have a beach. I, I give them mountains, but you know they're they're similar, and they are they are they are growing. And so we need a structure in place that works. It's the opposite of what the progressive structure has done. And if you look across the nation again, if you look at the other side, 
the high progressive states like California, New York, they are losing population. And to take a state like California, which is probably the most divinely blessed piece of dirt in this country, right? You think about beaches and mountains and Napa and Silicon Valley and great weather. You have to be pretty abusive from a government perspective to have more people leaving than coming because you'll take some people will take a lot to live in a, such a beautiful place. And then New York, it's losing population. You see it, they're losing congressional representative because their population is dropping. And so that is beginning to be understood. And I, it's like another nine states in the United States have moved in this direction towards that single rate and about the structure. So for me, it really is about the structure. The progressive rate we have now, and this is what gets misunderstood a lot, right? So you have your your lowest tier at 3.1% for your first 15,000, 5.25 for the next 15. And then when you become wealthy at $30,000, you're paying at the top rate, 5.7%. And so that tax plan that we were talking about did two key things. They're all you're hearing out now in the general information flow as well, going for a flat tax or single rate. The two major tenets of that plan, one was a complete elimination of income tax on Social Security. We're one of four states that even tax it. It's unnecessary. And it doesn't help our fixed, in, fixed income retirees. The other one was a 100% tax cut for the first 10000 a complete abatement of tax on the first 10000 So that plan we had was a, a, a tax cut for every single person. And so, you know, well, you know, that first tier was 3-1, and now it's going to 5-1. Well, the first 10 go to zero. Well, the, co the governor's point was the state simply couldn't afford it. And that's absolutely false. You want to talk about the most expensive tax cut we did was the food sales tax, right? So, And it was completely sustainable. Honestly, in our internal meetings, I thought she was going to sign it. I thought she was going to let it become law because we'd gotten really close. And to show you how, how popular it was, we were one vote shy of a supermajority in both chambers. That's what stopped it, right? She vetoed it. We were one vote shy. This of is the food it. sales tax you're talking about? No, the, 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 the single tax. rate tax. Yeah, you came very close last With session. One That's vote. exactly if right. If it weren't for one, well, we had a few people change their mind. We had two on one side change and go for it, two on the other side change and go against it. Um, for, you know, on, honestly, I think the ones that turned against it were politically motivated. Well, the argument, of course, that you've heard many times is that it's true a flat tax under your proposal would help the poorest. Kansans, but it also would help the rich a lot more than it would help those folks in the middle. Why do the rich need another tax break? Well, it's not that they need a tax break. We need a structural change, right? And it's that even that looking at when you take a crooked line, a progressive line and make it a straight line, a single rate, you're going to have points on those lines that get closer than others. But the fact closer was, to closer to meaning you got a less of a of an effect by this change than this guy got an effect or than this guy got this guy got a 100 percent tax cut. You you know by dollar value got a small tax cut. You know twenty bucks. You got a twenty dollar. And this guy you know because he makes a bunch of money, saved a bunch of money, right? They're, but that's just warfare amongst. It's it's like saying all because I didn't get as much as you, we shouldn't do the right thing. It really sets an even field, and then that's what gets the structure for when you can change moving forward. If the state has excess revenues, it's almost impossible to take to, to marginally take down a progressive rate because which one do you move and when and how. But still, richer folks benefit more than more moderate folks. Not necessarily. I mean, you're having to define that by dollar value, right? And that same argument would hold true on well, why, don't, why don't we have a progressive sales tax? Rich people buy more food than middle-income people. So they're saving more money on their groceries, right? So that's, a, that's my wife's shopping method. The more I spend, the more I save. 
right? It's it's that's that's the argument you're using there, and so that's just warfare amongst the classes. They need to really get back to the structure because we have to to. It's about jobs in Kansas. Growth is about jobs. I, I make the joke that routinely, you know, people move for two reasons: jobs. Our relationships, and we're not running a state dating service, so we need to focus on the jobs, and that's what we need. Employers, that's why we focused on bringing economic development to the state, and that's why that structure matters. Those corporations are moving to those types of states. You came close, as you said, Senator, to getting it passed last session. What's going to make this year any different? Same group of lawmakers. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's I, you I have to be in your job. Yeah, yeah, right. And and I do. So my hope is that uh, one of the two uh, gentlemen that flipped their vote from yes to no uh, would actually uh, man up and do what's right for the state. Yeah, a couple of things the governor has said about this proposal. One, it would irres- it would tax irresponsibly, and she says it would lead to budget cuts for public schools. What say you? False. I mean, it's that simple. That is just simply false. You can. This was the income, ta- the entire income tax portion of that that cut. Fiscal note on is about three hundred million, three hundred ten million, I think. We are sitting on an estimated three and a half billion dollars in our ending balance, not counting the rainy day fund we set aside, which has one point six billion in it. You look at that. Governments, governments don't make money; they take money, and that's not a bad thing if they are only taking what's necessary to run the operations. We shouldn't have these big balances. We should actually be putting this this, this money back in the pockets of the people, and we showed that was sustainable, even with some hard parts of the economy. Have if we had another minor blip in the economy, now, you know, who knows what happens if you get another COVID shutdown or something? But in any normal any normal should look back, it, it'd be sustainable for the indefinite future. So you're, under your proposal, some of that surplus goes back to taxpayers. Absolutely. Okay. She also says that a flat tax would have the same impact as the tax cuts that Governor Sam Brownback once signed into law that proved to be so unpopular. Again, 100% false. And by the way, the biggest false narrative on that, you know, that we always hear about the Brownback tax cuts. The funniest thing to me, because I was there, right? I mean, I'm in the room when those things are happening. It wasn't even Brownback's tax cut. Yeah, the proposal he had put forward went into the chamber. He signed it. Oh, he did. No, no. So you take ownership. Yeah. So don't get me wrong. He did sign it. And there were those that supported it then. Of course, nobody knew you were headed into the Great Recession, right? And we're bouncing around at this, you know, negative or 1%, you know, growth. And that's a whole different. And we didn't control our spending well enough off the other side, right? There's two sides to every ledger. And so that thing got manipulated. It got twice the size it was originally proposed because, you know, it's, you've been around long enough. It's, it's political game. Gamesmanship. You had one side uh, decide they were just going to make the fiscal note so big they didn't think he would sign it. Well, he did. Right. And so then you pay. This is not that in any context. This is a fraction of that. And matter of fact, if you just want to look at sheer fiscal note size, the, the, the food sales tax is every bit the size of the brown back tax cuts, right? So then she's the one being fiscally irresponsible. That is not true on either case. She is not being and we are not being. We'll be back in just a minute. Hollywood writers are obsessed with the concept of an asteroid heading towards Earth and destroying civilization. But is this something we really should be worried about? I'm Kate the Chemist, and on my podcast, Seeking a Scientist, we meet the mastermind behind a real-life mission to divert the path of an asteroid. Subscribe to Seeking a Scientist, made possible by the Starris Institute. 
I'm visiting with State Senator Ty Masterson. He's president of the Kansas State Senate. Let's stay with taxes just for a moment, Senator. Another concern of yours has to do with taxes and rising property tax bills across the state. You want to cap how much property values can rise each year, and you'd put that number at 4%. Why is that the right way to go? Well, because you need to, honestly, it's the right way to go because you need to allow some some margin of growth. And if you look back over history and even for government, I hate those words even coming out of my mouth, but you're, you know, so 4%, if you look back over history, that's about the rough, you know, two and a half, three percent 3% growth uh, in government. So there's plenty there. But what we're trying to get to is we are, especially in growth areas like Johnson or Johnson County area and even some down around me, we have, I have a gentleman lives across the street from me. My neighbor is probably a perfect example of what we're looking at in the sense of it was built in the 60s. So this this gentleman, he bought his home back in the 1960s, has had it paid off for 20 years. He pays more in property tax now than his entire mortgage, interest, property tax altogether was when he paid it off. And so and it's and in my so our my property values have gone up 40% in the last two years. And so is his, right? He's right and and you that is unsustainable for him. At some point he has to make the decision to to move or sell because he just can't afford his property. What are the prospects for a bill like that this session? That's actually a constitutional amendment. That's and right. So be a it would not. Voters, right? uh, it it right. just needs. It needs a two thirds majority in both houses, and it doesn't matter whether the governor uh, signs it or not. It's nothing to be signed. It's a constitutional amendment. It would then go. And by the way, then it's not done. That just. The supermajority in the chambers just puts it on the ballot, right? So that's for the people to vote on. So ultimately, it's a, it's a full-on vote, vote of the people whether or not they want to do that. Let me go to a topic that you knew would be coming up here. Maybe the most contentious issue of all could be Medicaid expansion. Governor Kelly is traveling the state, as I mentioned, pushing the idea once again. 70% of Kansans in the Kansas Speaks statewide public opinion poll that Fort Hayes State University put out said they backed the idea. 40 states have already gone along with it, but you're saying no. Why? Yeah, because, well, one, a poll can be can say about anything, and it's... I don't believe the 70% at all if they actually knew what Medicaid expansion meant. And I'll give you an example. We did a focus group, and it was you had to vote. You had to be a self-described, registered independent, self-described moderate, and uh, have voted in the last three of the four elections, right? Because we want to see what is the middle saying about this, because I want to know. So nine people qualified, live polled, five of them from the Johnson County area. Well, when they asked the question, do you think the state should expand Medicaid? Only two people even knew really what it was. And when it, when it became known that it was not what the general population seems to think, the majority, that expanding Medicaid is expanding services, right? That you're the, the, that the low-income mother, the disabled, the, those that qualify for Medicaid will have additional services. That is not what Medicaid expansion is, but that's the perception. So if you say, hey, should they have more services? Yes. I think most people would say yes. I think the way that question was answered, asked in that poll, well, I think I most say Kansans yes. say sure that you have the federal government pick up 90% of the tab for more health care services for the poorest of Kansans? Oh, see, so there, there you go. See, that's just it. It's not more health care services. It is not. There's a finite number of physicians doctors, providers that will even see Medicaid pay. You have a finite number. So there, right. here's, here's, your, here's your moral quandrum and where, I, where we differ, right? There are two things, really three things we know now because it's been expanded in many states and, you, and you can, we can now look back. They said it would save rural hospitals. It has not. As many hospitals closed in expansion states as they did in non-expansion states. It appears to make no difference whatsoever. 
They said it would help us with the emergency room. It has not. Emergency room has gone up. And it has displaced actual currently eligible Medicaid because it's, you have such a finite number of doctors that will even that will even see Medicaid patients. So it there, is there displacing There are other stats that say that rural hospitals are less at risk in states that have expanded Medicaid. They range from a low of 3% in Nebraska, 21% in Colorado. In Kansas, it's four of five, nearly 80% of hospitals are said to be in risky financial shape. So, so just look at the data. I mean, that's, I, I so you can, you know, Numbers don't lie. People lie about numbers. I mean, whatever that <laughs> saying is, right? It's just, it's, it is not. There are just as many hospitals are closed. And you could say, so I'm running a, a hospital and I'm in a net negative operation of a million and a half every year. And my Medicaid, if we expand Medicaid, I might get an extra 150 grand. That does, I might be less likely, but I'm still 100% likely to close, right? It doesn't change my probability. It's about the reimbursement rates. Right, that little one, the hospital that just closed in over there in Fort Scott, right? It was about, they were trying to become a rural hospital. It's about the reimbursement rates. It is, it is. So the question you have to ask yourself is, is it okay to have the truly disabled, the current Medicaid population, have less opportunity to have health care to allow for my 19 to 64 year old, four year old able bodied adults to have more? That's the question in Medicaid. Because expansion. you're saying there's a limited number of Medicaid doctors out there who will, who will yes. consider those patients. And it's interesting. You get been more proven. people trying to get access to those doctors, they'll have more trouble getting in to see them. Which is factually happening. Look at the studies. The studies are actually being honest about it. They're not looking. You'll get, now, I've also seen studies that said, well, I've got a marginal uh, better increase of. Of health have outcomes more, uh, more in this population, taking Medicaid patients, if the reimbursement rates are higher. Yes, you would. You would actually get more. You would actually get more opportunity for coverage because insurance doesn't mean I'm getting health care. It means I've got coverage if I go in. Right. It doesn't mean all because I expand a program. And the ninety ten deal, I said I know that's tempting, but the truth is there is a one hundred percent chance that doesn't remain ninety ten. Right. It's just unsustainable. But there and isn't a changes, single of all the 40 states that have expanded Medicaid, Senator, not a single one has said bad deal. We're going back to the old way. Oh, 100 percent disagree with that. You, it depends who you're talking to in those states. Right. As a matter of fact, I was just with the speaker. But no states have, 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 have rejected it. And oh, nobody's. Back. Well, once you open something, that's like that's like uh, oh, pick your thing. Let the let the horse out of the barn. You're not putting those types of programs back. You just right. can't do it. No, because then you're it, the. the there's just no way to reverse something that large. That's why it's so important that we stick to helping our truly disabled first. You know, Governor Kelly's argument, and again, you've heard this many times, Senator, is that the Kansas, Kansas taxpayers are uh, spending uh, tens of millions of dollars every year to pay for health care in other states because we've chosen not to expand Medicaid in this state. What about that? Also false. Look at what's happening is it's just deficit spending. We're not sending our tax dollars in there and they're going to spend in other states. We're consuming our own tax dollars. We're just, we're leveraging that. All these other states, it's leveraging that. You're not have your tax dollars aren't being sent and not coming back. They're not getting there at all. We're just going into further and further debt. There's also studies that show that health outcomes for those living in Medicaid expansion states are better than those in, in states that have not expanded Medicaid. That's the manipulated data I was talking about okay. earlier. You're only looking at one such. You're looking at just that 19 to 64 able-bodied. You are not comparing the whole picture of what is my downside over here of those that were 
current prior eligible who are now not getting the service. They're not. That's not a holistic look at that population. Let me ask you this, Senator. Some of your legislative colleagues complain that they've never been given a chance to vote on Medicaid expansion because leadership has denied them that opportunity. Will you commit today to giving senators an up or down vote on Medicaid expansion this next session? Well, you're in luck. I already have. My very first session in as president, that came up on our floor. We debated it and it voted down. Will you do it again? I don't. I'll, if the House does anything with it, I'll do something with it. Okay, the House has to come first. Yes. Let's turn to marijuana. Uh, it's another popular idea. Again, the polls show that 70% of Kansans in the Kansas Speak survey say they want it legalized. Why not? Again, it goes to, you know, you're thinking you're thinking of the palliative care, you know. Um, the well, other poor, folks poor who just want to enjoy it. Oh, no, that's recreational though, right? And recreational was not uh, addressed as a majority, right? So we, we then maybe that's to your point, right? It's... We say medical, but it's really recreational. Well, the poll said recreational marijuana yeah. favored by seven of ten Kansans. Again, you you answer that if you look at that question. I think uh, most people would answer yes, but they don't know what they're actually saying yes to. Look at Oklahoma, right? So they that came by proposition. You know, medical marijuana came in by proposition. They now are overgrown by 98%. I spoke to their AG and to the DA guy. 1.8% of their production fills every medical card in Oklahoma. And now you have you have farms being bought with cash. You have Colombian, Russian, Chinese gangs. You have kids you know, you know, getting a hold of that. We've been that in Wichita because uh, we're, we're close down there. We're just in the news cycle the last few months. There's been kids that have just been uh, you know, they've been getting a hold of edibles and getting themselves in a really bad. So condition. even though to medical marijuana, yes, yes, right. Okay. So it's 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 a it's it's a door. Now it's here's where I would say I'm actually open to true medical marijuana or to palliative care or those. I, I am open to that. I am not saying no. I'm just saying we don't have any real studies on dosage and and uh, distribution because you don't. You know, where else do you smoke medicine, right? I mean, you don't. You don't, right? I mean, so it's, it's, um, if it truly is, I'm a believer there is a medical benefit in that plant. I have no problem with that. It's just how it's been done across the country uh, has not been helpful. Matter of fact, what happened in Oklahoma actually hurt. I put a Fed and State Committee together my second year, and I truly tried to find out what is the middle. Half that committee was for. Half the committee was against. The vice chair was for. The chairman was was against. But I and I had them. I had the debate. Bring everybody in. I want to know. And by the time they had all their hearings, two of the four flipped to no, and they tabled the whole bill. Matter of fact, everybody thought I told them to do it, but I didn't. It was truly. I was trying to look at the subject matter. Say, hey, take in the information and tell me. And, it, and it, some of that was just about the way the bill, the, that particular bill, was written. There's probably a bill uh, that deals with you know, you know, dosage and. Re- Research and I mean, I'd, I'd take a pilot program. You, you know, we need to know more. Just a couple more final questions. Again, I'm visiting with Senator Ty Masterson. He's president of the Kansas State Senate. Another priority of the governor's is to increase funding for special education. As you know, the Kansas State Board of Education voted unanimously for a four-year plan to raise state funding for special ed by nearly $90 million. The argument is that the legislature is not meeting current state law in terms of funding requirements. How high of a priority is this for you? Well, Getting to the the truth is a very very high priority. I mean that's been part of our problem for the last thirty years. Yeah, with you have the the state school board versus the legislature. It's like you know they. It's like how would you vote 
for me to give you a raise, right? I mean, right? I mean, it's like they don't control. I asked, matter of fact, they're I not the controlling the purse strings. You are the person. Matter of fact, yeah. I asked the chairman. I said, "How about we just give you taxing authority?" Oh no, no, nope, don't want to do that. I said, "Right," because you have to be accountable on the backside of that. And so here, here's the deal on on, on special ed. It, notwithstanding, we've had a couple of studies here recently that show the money going for at risk, and some of this is not reaching the at risk kids. It's just a way to backfill the ledger, even with. There, there's layers here, right? So uh, special education funding, right? You've got the feds that are down. They're funding 12% of what they're supposed to do, right? It's supposed to be a federal program. The state is complying with, for those that care about the Gannon lawsuit and the Gannon, that you had Montoy Gannon, is currently complying with Gannon on special ed funding. And then the next year, our formula is so flawed, we actually have half these schools that are getting more than the, than the statutory 92% and then half getting less. And so we're only looking at the half getting less and trying to say, well, we need to raise this over here. Well, the truth is we need to right the ship, yeah. right? We need to make it correct because, but you have schools that are getting over oh, some 150% uh, yeah. of excess costs. So the, the funding formula is flawed. We are currently meeting the obligation through Gannon. It's, those are all of those things. You know, you know, this is we're moving into the 2024 election cycle and they believe that Medicaid expansion, uh, special ed funding are all are good issues for them in the, in the political world. And so that's why they're becoming not because they're necessary, not because they're right, but because it's politically, okay. politically a, a viable for them. Well, that's uh, Senator Ty Masterson. He's president of a Kansas State Senate. Senator, appreciate you coming and sharing your views. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Steve. I can tell you two things. I'm either telling you the truth or I believe it is. So educate me if I'm not. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Senator. Up to Date is a production of KCUR 89.3. The program is produced by Zach Wilson, Elizabeth Ruiz, Claudia Brancard, and Hallie Jackson. Our intern is Elizabeth Erb. Paul Nakatura is our announcer and engineer. The theme music was composed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.